Merry Christmas to you. You can always count on our creative team to make the lead pastors of our great church look incredibly stupid and not to say that I didn't have a part in that. Hey, just so you know, uh, you may have seen it when you walked up today, we are giving you a free Christmas picture if, the, if you would like to do it right outside after the service is over. These are some from the first service. We have a professional photographer, and if you get your picture made today, we'll have them ready for you next week. Um, I can't remember what size. A, f- a four by six. So you get one, and then you can make as many copies as you want. That's the cool part. And uh, something for you to give away, something for you to keep, but we wanted uh, that to be for you and your family, something that we're giving away to you that you can take advantage of right after the service today. Um, we've been talking about the, the names of God. God has many names, specifically Jesus, the Son, um, has many names that we read about in the Scriptures. Did you know that Jesus isn't just named Jesus but that different names were given to him that represent not just what he gives, but it represents who he is. So last week when we talked about the fact that Jesus, one of his names is the Wonderful Counselor, he doesn't just give wonderful counsel, but he is wonderful counsel. The word meaning in the Hebrew that he's too good for words. You can't even begin to describe with words in whatever language you want to speak how wonderful he is, not what just what he gives. He doesn't just give us what we need. He is what we need. And there are names that are given to Jesus throughout the scriptures. We're going to kind of hunker down right here in Isaiah for a short list. But there are names given to Jesus for him to be able to be relevant and represent anything that we could ever need uh, in our lives. He is to us. Somebody say amen to that. Well, how can he be all those things? Well, liken it to a diamond. When a diamond is cut right, it's going to have light come into it from every single angle. And you're going to see light shimmering. You're going to see light brilliantly glistening from every single angle because when it's cut the right way, it's multifaceted. And when we think about Jesus, he is everything that we need, and he relates to and meets every single need that we have on every level and every angle. And so when we start talking about the names of Jesus and the names of God, you need to understand it's not what he gives, it's how he relates to us and who he is to us. Does that that make sense? Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he actually prophesied about Jesus coming to earth about six to eight hundred years before it actually happened. And he gives us a list of some of his names. Uh, We're not going to exhaust every name in the scriptures that Jesus has, but I want us to read this together. This is a a verse that you've probably heard uh, or familiar with, but it says this, For unto us a child is born. Now again, this is six to eight hundred years before Jesus came to earth. And he's prophesying this. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Say this last one with me together. Prince of Peace. Some of you are going to be the Prince of Peace of Pie in a few days. Some of the Prince of a Piece of a Turkey in a few days. That's not the same kind of peace. The Prince of Peace. This was 800 or so years before this prophecy actually happened. And then in just the right time, it happens. I want you to get the scene now. An angel comes down from heaven and visits these shepherds who are watching their sheep sleep in a field. Angel shows up. It's brighter than anything else they'd ever seen. And and this is what the angel says in Luke 2. Do not be afraid, 
Don't you love it whenever the angel shows up and you read it in the scriptures, Old Testament or New, and the first thing they say is, stop being scared? (laughs) You want to know why? Because when you see a heavenly being like that, it's terrifying. I mean, you've never seen something like that with your eyes. And so that's the reason why they would always start out with, hey, stop being afraid, okay? This is what it says. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. There, there is so much prophecy and theology uh, that's taking place right here in these two lines. I'm not going to go into it, but I just want you to know that when, when, the Bible, when people prophesy under the anointing of God, the Bible always backs it up. You need to understand that. There's so much right here. But it says, uh, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And here's the, here's the line that connects back to the Isaiah verse. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. He is our prince of peace. Now, isn't it cool that when the angel came and said this, there's been peace on earth ever since? I mean, you've had peace in your life. You don't have anything going wrong in your life. In fact, this Christmas season has been not stressful one bit for you. Aren't you glad? Aren't aren't you glad that, that every single stress point is non-existent in your life? Aren't you glad that everything is done for Christmas? There is nobody in this room or anyone listening under the sound of my voice that has any gifts yet to get. I mean, you just got everything done. There is no stress. In fact, even the dirty Santa gifts you got, all of them were keepers. Like, there is nothing that you don't want and didn't get in that time together. Now let's come back to reality. We have problems in our lives. My grandma is in the last leg of dementia, reaching the end of her life. There is a family in our church that just lost their mother on Thanksgiving, and this is going to be the first Christmas they have without her. There are parents in here who have teenage kids and adult kids who they're not where they thought they would be at this time in life. Some of you are having struggles at work, relationship issues at home. Some of you are battling sickness. The fact is, is every single person has struggles in their life. Every single person has issues going on in your life. And before you know it, we find ourselves wondering, what happened to peace on earth? What happened to this Prince of Peace thing? Do you ever find yourself struggling between what the Bible says about peace and what's actually happening in your real life? It's ironic, but the very first Christmas wasn't that peaceful either. You think about a teenage girl named Mary who had to convince her family that she was pregnant, but yet she was still a virgin. Nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey to Bethlehem to take a census because her husband's from there. (laughs) Let's go to the in-laws, right? That's what everybody wants to do when you're nine months pregnant. There was more to it than that. Stressful. You think about the stress that Joseph had. I mean, having to take Mary's word for it that she's a virgin and this baby is from God. Of course, an angel had to show up and push things along with Joseph, but he eventually got there. Not only that, but there's no hospitals. There's no bed. And he's trying to take care of his wife, pregnant wife, very pregnant wife. And the only thing that's available to him is a barn. Because that's what every man and woman said. Yes, I want my baby to be born 
next to animal poop. I mean, that's that's it. Like, if I could just name it, that's what I would want to happen. Said nobody ever. There's no ambulance to take them there. There's no there's no hospital, no bed, no room, no epidural. There's. Let me know when we get to the peaceful part. And you think about your own life. I mean, what what's well, let me know when I get to the peaceful part. And this is a part of the Christmas story that we don't really talk about a whole lot. After they have the baby, uh, King Herod, who was the king at the time, he gets really paranoid when he hears that another king has been born. Uh, I would even go as far as to say kind of lunatic-like. He, he got so paranoid, he actually wanted to kill Jesus, the so-called king. In fact, he didn't know how old he was necessarily or where he was, so he had every single, this is true, every single baby boy from two years down killed. Peace on earth. Yay. And so the the question comes back up, how, how do we reconcile Jesus came to bring peace on earth with all of that? If Jesus is supposed to be the prince of peace, I just have the question, did he fail? Now, we all want to say kind of, no, he didn't off on the outset, but put your problems in there. Put your struggles in there. If he came to bring peace on earth, did he fail? <laughs> I mean, I, how do you reconcile those two things? Look at all of your pain. Look at all of my pain. We find ourselves asking, what's the deal? What's, what's, the, what's the answer to this? How can his name be Prince of Peace when my life has been anything but peaceful. Am I the only one that thinks this? I mean, I don't think I am. I think we all wrestle with this. The prophecy said, Prince of Peace, but yet here I am with my wife and my baby running for our lives, fleeing to Egypt. The prophecy said, Prince of Peace, but yet there's somebody trying to kill my newborn son. The prophecy said, Prince of Peace, but here I am battling cancer. The prophecy said, there's, there's peace on earth, but yet here I am, and my spouse and I are, are on the brink of divorce. I, I don't know how to reconcile this. Prince of Peace versus what's happening in my life now. I, I want to bring a little clarity to that today. It's interesting, the Hebrew language is so much more than just words on the surface. The Hebrew language has meaning that goes way down deep. And when you take two words and put them together, it changes the meaning of the words separately. And so when, it, when they said prince of peace in the Hebrew, I want you to look more closely. It's actually a compound word in the Hebrew. And when you put them together, they, they actually mean something. Prince is the word sar. It means this, the one in charge. Say one in charge. It means the chief, the lord, the general, the one in charge. The Romans actually used this word uh, for their generals and eventually became the word czar, which was used for the supreme ruler of their country. The one in charge, sar, prince. And the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. It's peace. It's rest. It's wholeness. It's completeness. And now remember, the two names go together, and so what we begin to understand is I can't have shalom without sar. I can't have peace unless sar is in charge. That's, that's the word. That's what it actually means. I can't have the peace of God without the prince of God being in charge. And I really believe that that's where a, a disconnect happens for a lot of people, well-intended Christians included, that I, I can't have the peace of God in my life because my circumstances are just not peaceful, when in fact, what God is saying is you can't have the peace of God until I show up and become in charge of your life. 
Let's go a little bit deeper than that. Where is the Prince of Peace wanting to be in charge? Is it, in, is it in your circumstances? Do you feel like he's, well, maybe if I just give him my circumstances and say, God, you take these circumstances and use them for your glory. You do what only you can do in it. And when you change that person or when you change the work situation around, then that's going to bring peace to me. Oh, my God, it would be so much better and peaceful if that would change. You ever say that? Oh, we all say it. You know, if, if I asked you to name the one thing in your life right now that could, that could change right now and for you to bring you peace, you could name it. Do you feel like God is wanting to bring peace to you? Or is God wanting to be what his name says, peace in you? Is he wanting to change the circumstances of your life so that that can bring peace to your life? Or is he wanting to do something on the inside of you? taking charge of your heart and your life, creating and being a peace in you that you bring to every situation that you encounter in your life, every circumstance. I'll ask you again, if, if, if I could ask you to name the person, name the thing, name the situation that, that could be changed in order to bring you peace, could you name it? The answer is yes. Oh, if they would just change. They may be with you today, so don't look at them too hard. But if, if they would just change what they do, if, they would just, if that thing would shift, if that would move, if I could just get a breakthrough in this circumstance, oh, man, that would bring peace to my life. And so we center our prayers around that. God, do this. God, change that. I believe in you, God. Are they good prayers? Yes, they're very good prayers. When it's done with a heart that genuinely believes that God wants to do something in our lives, but you can't just stop there. The peace of God doesn't come to you unless the prince from God is in charge on the inside. Because let me ask you something. If, if those circumstances don't change, that person never quits being a jerk. If sickness doesn't go away, if the relationship never takes a turn for the better, does that mean that his name ceases to become prince of peace? If the situation doesn't change, does that mean God's, God quits being who he said he was? Well, since you can't have peace because your circumstances won't shift, we're just going to call him enduring friend. <laughs> He'll be with you forever while you endure all this junk. And, you know, if you have it too long and things don't change, we'll just call him the prince of pain. Because that's really what we do. We say God changed the circumstances, and, and we just endure. Oh, I'm hoping for God to change it. I'm hoping for God to do it. I'm not going to have peace until he does. And then eventually when things don't shift, if that's what happens in God's sovereignty, then we start going, well, where were you, God? Are you really who you say you are? Are you, are you really the Prince of Peace? Are you really what you say you are? Because these things haven't happened, and I've been praying. You see what we've done there? We've made our prince dependent upon, or our peace dependent upon outside circumstances changing us. Are you demanding that your circumstances change in order for God's promises to become valid in your life? I know I'm stepping on your toes. I'm stepping on mine. But this is some, this is some real teaching here that I feel like that we really have to get a gr grasp on when it comes to the prince of peace in our life. Is God wanting just to change your outside circumstances? Are you waiting on them to change to bring you peace? Let me ask the question again. Where is the Tsar wanting to be in charge? Where is the prince wanting to be in charge in your life? In your circumstances? Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. I love it. He says, don't be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, say peace of God, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and guard your mind. Don't you think it's interesting that he didn't say the peace of God will change that other person for your good? When you do these things, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will make your life a peaceful place. It didn't say that. It said that the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. It will come into you and do something on the inside of you. It didn't say anything about changing your circumstance. And I love this because this is not a prerequisite for your mountain to be moved. This is a prerequisite for you to have peace in your life, in and through Jesus Christ. God is in the business of moving mountains for us, but according to his word, his peace is going to show up first through Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our minds. Where is he wanting to be in charge? In you, in me. He's wanting to do something drastic in my heart and in my mind. He's wanting to change me. And therefore, I'm not waiting for peace from the outside to come into me. I have peace already because I have put Jesus Christ in charge of my life, and I'm now bringing peace to every situation that I go into. I'm bringing peace into that relationship that won't seem to do right. I'm bringing peace into that job that won't seem to shift in my favor. I'm bringing peace into the relationship with my kids, whatever it happens to be. I'm bringing peace into a a situation where there's sickness, and I can't reconcile it. I'm bringing peace into that because he is peace in me. I love how Paul reminded the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the first part of verse 5. He says, examine yourselves. In other words, test yourself and see. Do you feel Christ's presence, power more and more within you? I mean, it's this power that he, he never meant just to rest on the outside of you somewhere so that your circumstances could bring you peace. He's saying the power of God, the prince of peace, the peace that only God can be in you is happening inside of you. It's, it's not an, an inside, uh, it's not an outside peace thing working in. It's an inside peace that works out. And he says it happens when you put the sar in charge when you put the prince in charge of your life. You experience the peace of God when the prince is in charge of you. And and I think we all look at our circumstances and we think, well, if that would just change out there, I would be peaceful. When in actuality, God's saying, no, I'm wanting to be in charge of your life in such a way that I'm peace on your insides, that you work from the inside and you present peace to every situation that you come into contact with. Jesus is peace in us when we let him take charge of us. That's the solution. Let's talk about the problem. How, how do I make sure that he's in charge? The, thing, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand that there's a problem inside of us that we need to acknowledge. And so we need to acknowledge the root. Everybody say root. The root of our problem. You have to realize what's really keeping him from being in charge of your life. It's not what you think. I remember years ago, our laundry room uh, started smelling funny. Now, we have boys, teenage boys, so that's just normal, right? 
your laundry room's going to smell funny from time to time. But this was a different kind of funny. And I thought, well, maybe the clothes just need to be rewashed. Maybe they really got into some stuff this week. So rewash the clothes. Um, then that still didn't work. There was still something weird. So I, I sprayed the whole room down. I cleaned the whole room down, even threw an air freshener in there. And it, it kind of went away after that. But then a few days later, it came back. And I'm, I'm addressing all these issues, but I still can't find the root of the problem. And so then... All of a sudden, one day, I, I heard it. What did I hear? I hear a bird flapping in the dryer vent. You know, you don't put the guards on the outside of your house, and bird season comes, and they fly in there. And it hit me. I'll bet there's a dead bird in the dryer. <laughs> and so I pulled the dryer off. I pulled the vent off, and I looked back in there, and sure enough, there's a decapitated bird in the vent of the dryer. And I thought, well, it's Thanksgiving. We'll just kill two birds with one stone. Just kidding. We didn't do that. I got a glove, and I reached in there, and I pulled the bird out. And have you ever seen Dumb and Dumber with Petey the Bird? Petey Bird. He lost his head. You know, that's what I felt like whenever <laughs> whenever uh, his head fell off. Whenever I'm, I'm holding this bird, and I threw the bird out. And I was like, there's no way we can ever do another load of laundry in this dryer. So we're going to get a new dryer. Listen, you can attack the problem all day long on the surface, but until you get to the root of the problem, the problem still exists. And when it comes to us thinking about Jesus having control of our lives and making him the Tsar, making him the prince in our lives, we, we typically think about surface issues. We don't think about the root. And so as I'm talking to you saying Jesus has to be in charge of our lives, we typically think of the things that we need to start and stop doing. We think of behavior modification. Well, I just need to stop losing my cool and blowing up. Or I need to stop getting drunk. That's not the root of the problem. That's the surface. I need to stop telling lies. I need to stop being mean to my spouse. I need to stop being a jerk. I need to do better. I need to start doing this. I need to, and we think of all these things on the surface that we should and we shouldn't do, and we think what we're doing is putting Jesus in charge of our lives, but that's not making him in charge of our lives. What we're really doing is attacking the symptoms of the deeper root problem. Sins in your life with an S on the end of it, the things you do, aren't really the problem. The root of the problem is the sin nature that you were born with. And I just blew half of your minds right there when I said that. The Bible says that sin didn't come to you because you told a lie or because you went to prison for some conviction or you were mean or that you... The Bible says that sin came to us through a nature. We were born into sin because of Adam, who sinned in the beginning. David said it like this, surely I was sinful in the womb. That's, that's what David said in the Old Testament. We get this understanding that there's a difference between the sin nature about us, the attitude way down deep in our hearts that's, that wants to move away from God, versus the fruit of the sin nature, which is the blowing up, which is the getting drunk, which is the doing things that I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to be doing. And typically when we start thinking about putting God in charge of our lives to let him be that peace way down deep, we don't typically go right for the root, putting God in charge there. We typically try to figure out how can we stop doing certain things on the surface. The root of the problem is the sin nature about you. If you have weeds in your flower bed, don't you hate those? And you go and you start pulling them, but just the top snaps off to where you can't see it anymore. And some of you are satisfied with that. That's cool. But just know that they're going to come back up. 
<laughs> Why? Because you haven't got the root up. And so we can do all these things on the surface, trying to handle the exteriors, but the root of the problem is still there. So those things are still going to keep coming up in your life. We need to get to the root of the problem and acknowledge the fact that we have a sin nature about us. And that in us is what produces the sins. Rick Warren said it like this, and I love it. He said that you have the capability as a human being, because you have a sin nature you were born with, you have the capability of any sin given the right set of circumstances. And it's true. And some of you say, well, I would never do. You hear somebody that does something really bad. I would never do that. You need to be careful. Because you have within you the capacity of any sin given the right set of circumstances. Do you think that person that did that just woke up one day and decided they were going to ruin their life? No, it started with a slippery slope, one rationalization after the other. And before you know it, they're, they're deep in it. I can't tell you the amount of people that I've talked to over the years that said, I don't know how I got here. Why? Because they have a sin nature, and you do too. And if we don't attack the root of our problem, the sin nature about us that resides in our hearts, it's this, it's this attitude that says, I can do it myself, my own way. It's this attitude that says, I, I don't want God in this part of my life. I don't, it's, it's this attitude that wants to do the opposite. It's the part that tempts us. And you have that inside of you. It's the attitude that says this, I'm going to stay ignorant because I don't want to know. I don't want to be responsible for the things of God because I'm in charge and I don't need God on this one. Listen, if you want peace in your life, then you have to address the root of sin in your heart. And you have to let Jesus have complete control. Stop trying to attack the outside sins and behavior modifications. Start doing this and stop doing that. And give Jesus control of your life. Give Jesus control. How, how, how do I do that? Romans 6.11 says this, Look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. And instead, be alive to God. Be alert to him in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be alert to God. I love that because he's saying, you know, it's not just enough to try to fix a behavior thing, but he's saying there's going to come a time in life where you're tempted to do stuff, and, and you got to have this God radar going on to where when you get into the thick of it, you're alert. You you can't wait to hear what God is going to say to you. God, i got to be sensitive to you because you're ultimately in charge of my life. And, and this thing right now is tempting me, but I know you're speaking to me. And so I'm not waiting for a lightning bolt from heaven to come and, 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 and light me up and say, don't do this. I'm, I'm waiting for that still small voice because you're in charge of my heart, not me. It's that moment when you're fed up and you know what you're going to do. And you feel justified in what you're getting ready to do. Because they've done it one too many times. And this is what I'm going to do. And then you hear God say, no, you're not. Who, who gets to say there? And I'm like, yes, I am. That wasn't God. That was me. That was something in the air. We'll make all kind of rationalizations. And the question remains, who's in charge? Is the SAR in charge? Or are you? Because if you're in charge, then go on and do what you were going to do. You want to do it. The Bible says it, it brings anxiety to your life. It brings dissension between you and God. And sometimes it makes us mad, especially for the ones of us that are really stubborn. I can be that way. We, we, we this, is, this isn't right. I want to do this. I'm stirring. 
And, and God is saying, no, listen to me. And it's in that moment where you have to say, am I in charge or is he? And if he's in charge, then you drop your own way, down that attitude of sin, and you say, God, you're in charge of me right now, not me. And you will find, if you will listen to that voice, if you will listen to what he has to say and actually do what he says, you'll find peace popping up in your life in that area. You'll find peace popping up in all kinds of areas in your life, but it's the areas of your life where Sar is in charge that you'll find the most peace. I love 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It kind of differentiates that, the sins versus the sin nature. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Every person has a sin nature about them. Every one of us. And in every one of our lives, we have a decision to make. Who's going to be in charge when it comes to that specific area of my life? Because sin nature is in you and all of it. He says, but if we confess our sins, that's the fruit. He's going to forgive our sins because we can trust him to do what's right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs that we have done. Who's going to be in charge? Is it going to be you or is it going to be the Tsar? Is it going to be the prince? Because when the Tsar is, is in charge, that's when the peace of God comes into your life in that area. So we have to acknowledge that root of the problem. Secondly, we have to believe Jesus came to bring me peace. I think it's interesting that when it comes to the Tsar being in charge and acknowledging the root, we still have a decision to make. Are we actually going to believe that the peace of God is going to come into my life if I do that? <laughs> or is he really going to bring me peace? You have to accept the fact and believe that, you know what, he came to bring me peace. It's not something that sounds good. It's not something that might happen. This is what he says in Romans 7, verse 24 and 25. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? It's, he, he describes it as like you're, you're a slave to this nature. It's like it handcuffs you. And, and, and anybody that has tried to hear God's voice in the middle of extreme temptation knows that sometimes you're like, why do I feel like this? I don't want to feel, I don't want to be tempted like this. I don't want to do this. So he feels like a slave. And Paul says, who's, who's going to deliver me from that? Then he says, thank you, God. It has been done by Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has set me free. So you got to believe the fact that, yes, he actually did that. I believe, Jesus, that you set me free. I believe that this nature that I have about me, you can actually come and set me free and bring me peace. The answer is a person. It's Jesus Christ, the power that you lack to be at peace in the midst of a storm. It's all embodied in and through a person named Jesus Christ. And you have to believe that he can actually bring you peace before you ever, ever let him be in charge of your heart. Because let's just get honest. We're not going to give our lives up for something that we don't even believe in. Why would we do that? You wouldn't do that for any other area of your life, and you're certainly not going to give your whole heart to somebody you don't believe in. And so you have to ask yourself the question, is this just some good things I hear or grew up hearing, or is this something that I actually believe? Facing sickness, do I actually believe that God can bring me peace in this? Whether I know how or whether the questions are still there or not, do I actually believe that? Then put him in charge facing the relationship that you're in? Do, do I actually believe that God can bring peace to this? You have to answer that question before you'll ever put him in charge of actually doing something about it. 
you got to actually believe that he came to do that. You know, if, if you try and fix your situation without first believing that God can actually bring change, you're never going to put him in charge, and you're just going to be beating a dead horse. It's like taking a seagull that you find dead on the shore and throwing him up and saying, fly, seagull, fly. Boom. He lands back down. And then we, we don't stop there. We take the seagull and try to teach him aerodynamics. Then throw him back up again. Fly, seagull, fly. Boom. Only to find out that we, we're just, we're just, we're empty. <laughs> how do I get, how do I get there? It's, it's, the bird doesn't need instruction. The bird needs a new life. We don't need more teaching. We need to actually have a renewed heart in us. You, believing that God actually sent Jesus Christ to be peace for me. Acknowledging the root of the problem. And then thirdly, commit all I am to the SAR. Commit all I am. Commit. Pull the trigger. Do it. Know there's a root problem. Believe that Christ actually can bring me peace. And then take that part of your heart and say, God, you're in charge of it now. Commit. Commit all I am to Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And this, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Because if you really want to be free, you can't play games. You can't give him part of your life and then withhold part of your life and your heart uh, kind of for yourself. Because whatever you hold on to, that's the area of your life that Satan will begin to create damage in your life when it comes to your peace. Because whatever you're not giving to God and you're holding on to, that area is susceptible to anything else. If you want the peace of God in that area, then the Tsar has to be in charge in that area. What are you holding on to right now that you would say, this is mine to decide? I get to determine what happens with this. I get to determine the attitude that I bring towards this situation. I get to determine what happens in my life. You cannot have peace without the prince. He's the prince of peace, and the names go together. Jesus has got to become more than a Christmas story. He's got to be Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is what Paul tells the church. He says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there's that word in there. I don't know if you caught it or not. We, we don't use it a whole lot. Theologians say they call it sanctification, to be sanctified. And we say things like growing in Christ, giving part of our lives to God, and then giving more and, and growing in Him until, until finally we get to heaven and we're perfect. But until then, it's always going to be this growing process. What's my next step in God? That, that process is called sanctification. You know what that means? That means that I have taken my life, my heart, and I've given it to God for His purposes for me. I've taken that part of my life and my heart, and I've said, God, you be in charge of my heart and of my life. Does it mean I'm perfect? Absolutely not. Not while you're still breathing air on this earth. But what it means is this, is that God has complete access to my heart, and he can change me any way he wants. It means that I'm going to be an ever learner in the kingdom of God. That I'm ha I get to have peace in my heart, knowing that there's not one place in my heart that I've reserved for myself. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart. And God has complete access to me to grow me at any pace he wants. Because I'm completely and utterly his. 
I think of a lot of us in the room or maybe listening online, a lot of us have given our lives to Christ in the sense that we've accepted Christ. We believe that he's the son of God. We've accepted salvation. But it's a whole other thing to make him Lord, to make him the Tsar, to make him the prince of our heart, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be known by your friends and your family that that man, that woman, that's, that's a man or a woman of God. Not that you have it all together, but you've given your whole entire heart to him and the prince is in charge. And when that begins to happen, there becomes a peace on the inside of you that makes the word in Philippians come true. It's a peace that passes every understanding. Every bit of worldly, I don't know how they have that peace, man. Look at what they're going through. Look at what they've had to endure, but yet they walk around here so peaceful. I don't get it because it's a peace that passes understanding. The SAR is in charge of your heart, and you're bringing peace to every single circumstance. Let me tell you else what it, what, something else it does is you go into those circumstances, and people watch, and they're like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. But they begin to want that. How can I get what they have? And they begin to see God more clearly than they ever have before. And it becomes an opportunity maybe for you or maybe for somebody else to draw them nearer to God. He wants to do it in your life. And my prayer today is that the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, wouldn't be a name that's for somebody else, wouldn't just be part of the Christmas story, but that you would take that to heart and say, become the Lord of my life. Become the Tsar that's in charge. And watch the peace of God that transcends all understanding begin to guard your heart, guard your mind, and begin to infiltrate every single part of your life. I believe it's true. It's the Word of God, and I believe it's for you. Can I pray with you before we go? God, thank you for the opportunity to talk about your peace. Not just your peace, God, but who you really are to us. You are our peace. There is nothing about you that doesn't satisfy every single need that we have. And Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would make plain to us the areas of our lives that we have just not given you, that we're still holding on to. Truth be told, a lot of us have, have said yes to you in the sense that we're, we're going to accept you as Savior, but there's still hurts and there's still habits and there, there's still things that we still struggle with because we have reserved for ourselves the right to choose. Some of us have given into the idea that, you know what, I'm always going to be hurt. I'm never going to have peace there. I just proclaim that to be a lie. Not to say that while we're on this earth, we're going to be perfect and never feel pain. But God, I believe that you are the Prince of Peace. That you do want to get into our hearts and, and take charge, not in some weird egotistical way, but that you're the only one that knows how to bring peace. So we need to follow you. We need to give you control. And I, I just, whatever area it is, Lord, in our lives that you want access to, I believe you're knocking on the door of our hearts right now. Just like you said in Revelation, I, I'm knocking on the door of your heart, and if anybody hears, open it, and I'll come in. And there'll be this intimate relationship there, and I will bring myself in, and, and I will be your peace. We just commit that to you in Jesus' name. Can we say amen together?